0: of our series on Sabbath and rest. Um, And we're going to be talking about Jubilee out of Leviticus. And Leviticus is often a book of the Bible that we would rather prefer to just skip over because there's a lot of rules and laws and we just kind of all wonder what on earth does this have to do with us in the 21st century. Uh, So we're going to take a little bit of a look this morning at... Uh, Leviticus chapter 25, but before we get there, would you pray with me? God, who invites us to rest, I pray that you would help us to now rest with your word and your spirit, Uh, that you would speak to us this morning through me or despite me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Through this series, we've been following uh, the narrative of Scripture, which you've heard maybe me use that term in, in the last couple of months, the, the narrative of Scripture. We started at the beginning with God inviting humanity to rest and to trust in God, And God built this rhythm of rest into our work. He built it into the rhythm of the week, of the seasons, and of the years. Uh, We should be careful to keep this balance of work and rest. And then we moved into the story of Egypt and how Pharaoh demanded production. He didn't care about the well being of the slaves, he only cared what they produced. And as God rescues them out of Egypt, He gives them this commandment to remember the Sabbath, to remember a time of rest. It was not just for individuals, it was for the entire society. We talked last week that it wasn't just for the men of Israel to rest, it was for their entire families, for their servants, for their animals, for their land. Ultimately, God desires a love relationship with His people, not just adherence, blind adherence to a list of rules. But this morning, we're going to be talking a little bit more about the rules. But in this sermon, we're going to be taking a major leap forward in the narrative of Scripture. Like I said, we often want to skip over Leviticus because there's all these laws and Many of them deal with uh, sacrifices and they deal with cleanliness codes and, and rules for your home that no longer really apply to us. Um, I always like looking at the uh, laws on your ox goring your neighbor and what you had to do if such a thing happened. Um, I think in Hershey we're pretty safe on that one now, Hopefully. Unless maybe you get a little too active over at the uh, Zoo America, climb through the fences. Throughout Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, we're given something that's called Sabbath laws. See, God wasn't just concerned about people taking a nap one Sunday afternoon a week. Maybe that's a good place to start. But God isn't only concerned with individual rest. God also wants all humanity and creation to find the blessing of rest. Sabbath laws were intended to guide this rest as a society. There were laws aimed at ending exploitive economy, of balancing things out. It was an opportunity to give all people rest women, servants, slaves, to give a rest to animals and the land so that it had a chance to recover. Most ancient economies exploited cheap labor in the form of slavery. They just used and abused human beings for whoever was in charge, for their own benefit. And they used and abused animals and land and resources Maybe we hear an echo of this exploitive economy in our world today. Sabbath laws legalized economic justice for the people of God. So I'd like for us to look at Leviticus chapter 5. You can turn in your own Bible. The first seven verses here of Leviticus chapter 25 deal with the Sabbath rest. This was a rest that was intended for the people and the land every seven years. Uh, Leviticus chapter 25, starting at verse 3. It says, six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in their yield. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. Every seven years, there was rest for the land. They weren't allowed to cultivate or work the land. They could eat what the land produced, but they really uh, needed to trust and rest in God for that seventh year. And then in verse 8, we move into this peculiar practice called Jubilee we just read verses 8 to 10, which we read a little bit of this morning. You shall count off seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the period of seven weeks of years gives 49 years. All that math, and then they celebrated in the 50th year. Then verse 10, you shall hallow the 50th year, and you shall proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. You shall, it shall be a jubilee for you you shall return every one of you to your property and every one of you to your family. Agricultural work was supposed to cease. Debts and servants were released. Ancestral land is returned. It was rest and trust in God on a societal scale, not just for the individual for but for everyone, for the people of God to experience this time of rest together. It was also intended that the foreigners and people living in the people of Israel would also benefit from this rest. It was freedom to be enjoyed by everyone. It was a regularly scheduled interruption of poverty, slavery, and debt. It was intended so that the the rich cannot keep exploiting the poor or the land. It had incredibly radical implications for the people of Israel. It marked them out as different, as separate. In some other cultures, ancient kings might also have something of this practice. When a king would... Uh, come to the throne, they might proclaim the release of slaves and they might proclaim the freedom of debt or uh, the forgiveness of debt. It was aimed at celebrating themselves. It was also aimed at kind of undercutting other uh, land-holding wealthy people. Now that their debts and their uh, workforce was released, they didn't have the power that they had had before and so it kind of propped up the king. But in a society that has no king, God provides a regularly scheduled disruption of exploitive economics. So we see the Sabbath law every seven years, and we see the Jubilee every 50 years. Some scholars suggest that this idea of Jubilee was a utopian ideal that those leaving exile wish they could celebrate, wish they could have, and so they put it into the text. Others argue for a very early Israelite law that gets forgotten, and we see throughout the Old Testament a number of places where these laws just are forgotten or ignored. Regardless of where this comes into the text, there's little evidence that a full jubilee was ever completely enacted. You see in your notes a, a list of scriptures there, and I encourage you to, to flip to those during the week, maybe in, in review. Second Chronicles 36, 21 talks about the land receiving a Sabbath that gets imposed when the people of Israel are forced into exile. And it says, now the land could enjoy its Sabbath, all the Sabbaths that it missed, all that rest that the land had missed because people didn't stop. Now that no one's there, the land can enjoy. Ezekiel 46:17, Isaiah 61, 1 to 3, talk of the release of slaves. We do know that some kind of sabbatical year, that every seven-year rest was observed from time to time. Nehemiah 10.32 talks about the Sabbath rest. Uh, The book of 1 Maccabees, which comes between our Old Testament and our New Testament, uh, references a Sabbath year. The ancient Jewish historian Josephus talks about a Sabbath year being practiced. So we know that every seven years there was some kind of rest. But the Jubilee never found full expression in the lives of the people of Israel. It was intended to be a beautiful culture-shaping expression of freedom, of rest, of deliverance. Isaiah gives us a reference to this jubilee, and we, we read this this morning as our call to worship. This Sabbath law and the jubilee point us forward. Isaiah still has visions of celebrating this jubilee. Isaiah talks about a suffering servant coming to deliver God's people. Isaiah looks forward to the return from exile of God's people. In Isaiah 61, the prophet writes, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Leviticus talks about what the Jubilee should look like. And years later, Isaiah still has visions of this freedom and release for the people of Israel, for everyone to enjoy rest in God. And here's where our story really leaps forward. It goes to Luke chapter 4. As Jesus enters the synagogue on the Sabbath, and as a rabbi, as a teacher, he gets up and a scroll is handed to him. But not just any scroll, it's the scroll of Isaiah. And Jesus turns to where it is written and he reads... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus hands the scroll back and he takes his seat and he says, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's jubilee. And Jesus is coming to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight for the blind. It's freedom for slaves. It's forgiveness of debt. It's both freedom for slaves to men and slaves to sin. It's forgiveness of debt, of money, and sins. And it's not just for the Jews this time. See, Jesus goes on in that scripture in Luke chapter 4 and he tells them some stories of times where God blessed and healed Gentiles. Jesus is uh, insinuating that this jubilee, this freedom, this deliverance, this healing is going to be for everyone. And the Jews that are listening to him suddenly turn on him. They don't like what they're hearing. See, it's bigger than Leviticus. It's bigger than Isaiah ever imagined. It's both about spiritual freedom, but it's, it's more than that. If we think it's just about spiritual freedom, we need look no further than Acts chapter 2. To see that the followers of Jesus also understood a new way of treating one another relationally as well as economically. I want you to hear something. I'm not suggesting that this is economic practice for the United States or for any other country. It's maybe not how countries of this world should run their economic systems. But I am suggesting that the people whose king is Jesus should live in a way that is different and peculiar from the world around us. And so what does it look like for jubilee, for the practice of rest and freedom to continue to be a part of the church today? See, I don't think our culture is going back to blue laws. I don't think we're going to start have those back on the books. We probably won't convince uh, sports teams and other events to stop hosting weekend-long tournaments and activities. But the people of the kingdom of God should look and act differently. Here's some imperfect examples. Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby are closed on Sunday. They do that in part because of their conviction of rest on Sunday. Companies aren't perfect things, but it brings this idea of rest and freedom of the proclamation of good news, it brings it into the conversation that our culture is having. And maybe even us, when I've been traveling, I'm driving down the highway and I'm looking for somewhere to eat, and this happened to us coming back from uh, annual conference, and we wanted somewhere good to eat, and there was a Chick-fil-A, but it was Sunday. But it made me stop and think. And I wonder what it does for other people who just love their food, and they could take or leave their ethics. Do they stop and think, why are they closed one day a week when all the other fast food places are open all the time how can we be peculiar in our practice of rest you know some of our youth families are involved in sports tournaments and activities that happen over the weekend sometimes they can't be here to worship with us on Sundays but you know some of those parents stop before Sporting events start Sunday morning, and they might get together with other parents, other youth, other athletes who are followers of Jesus, and they pray together. They might open the word together. They come together in a very different and peculiar act of worship, of rest how might we as the church support and increase that peculiar witness to the world? You know, we also have families swamped with activities during the week. Twice a month from October to April, here at Spring Creek, we have meals and church activities for children and youth. How could we use these evenings to bless families with rest and freedom to give opportunities for us to worship and pray together. You know we also all make daily economic decisions which can be opportunities to provide freedom and rest or can further exploit those who are on the fringes of society. How can we proclaim good news to those on the margins of society this morning I was uh, just quickly scrolling through my Facebook and uh, there's this feed into my Facebook this group called the Babylon Bee and it posts kind of satirical Christian humor and sometimes it's really funny and sometimes it just kind of hits you with sometimes Um, some of our hypocrisy. And it was uh, this genuinely fake news thing about a restaurant owner giving his waitresses a pep talk before they served on Sunday because they knew that the people coming in wouldn't be tipping well. It was meant to be ironic, satirical, But if we go out, many of us do on Sundays, are we providing rest? Are we proclaiming good news? Are we supporting those that are forced to work on Sunday? In the book Jesus for President, Shane Claiborne and Chris Haw contend that Jesus conquers the world through fascination through being different, through being peculiar. See, the people of Israel were different for keeping a rhythm of rest. And that rhythm of rest included one day a week. It included every seven years. It was meant to include every 50 years of having regularly scheduled interruptions of injustice. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God by proclaiming release of captives and freedom for the oppressed. The church in Acts 2 lives in radical hospitality and mutual support of one another. And Paul writes in Romans 12, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. See, church, we are called to live a different kind of life, to act in peculiar and strange ways that other people in the world say, why are they doing that? Why are they caring about people in that way? What do they have? Who do they know that I don't? Maybe jubilee was a utopian ideal, impossible of ever being fully realized. Maybe a day of rest, regular and communal, were just for the Israelites living in simpler times. Or maybe these were intended as pointers inviting us to find rest in Jesus. Maybe they were invitations to a radically different life in Jesus that proclaims good news, release to captives, recovery of sight, and the year of the Lord's favor. Amen. I invite you to turn in your blue hymnal to number 344. And stand in body or spirit as we sing, I will sing of my Redeemer.